Hello, and welcome to Tell the Damn Story. I am Christopher Ryan, an award-winning hybrid author, teacher, multi-platform creative, and former award-winning journalist. Also on the mic is Kids Comic Con and the Color of Comics Exposition founder, Alex Simmons, an award winner since 1996, including an Inkpot Award from the San Diego Comic Con and three Glyph Awards from the East Coast Black Age of Comics Con. He has written Sherlock Holmes, Tarzan, Batman, Superman, and Scooby-Doo, among so many more beloved characters, and is the creator of the legendary African-American soldier of fortune, Aaron Blackjack Day, whose 1930s adventures comment on today's social problems. On Tell the Damn Story, we celebrate the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity, and hopefully, along the way, help you decide how you want to tell your own damn story. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> How you doing? Alex, good to see you. Yeah. Uh, Alex Simmons, Chris Ryan, and we have with us today Dr. Johnina Scarlett. Uh, she is a licensed clinical psychologist, an author, TEDx speaker, and as her bio says, full-time geek. Yes. <laughs> um, what we think she is is fascinating. And we want to thank you, doctor, for coming in and to tell the damn story, to tell your own damn story and how you help so many others tell their damn story. Thank uh, you're, you. you're a perfect guest and welcome to this wacky <laughs> it is, Yeah, wacky production. <laughs> but by the way, just so that the folks can enjoy something that I always enjoy when I speak to you, um, where are you calling from or where are you, where are you? you know, projecting from coming across the lines in the internet. <laughs> Where are you? Uh, I am teleporting in from San Diego, California. Um, thank you both so much for having me. It's such an honor. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And I love your voice. That's, that's what that was all about. <laughs> uh, Dr. Scarlett, ladies and gentlemen, does uh, superhero therapy. And we're going to get into that today. And we're going to... Uh, let her explain the amazing stuff she does in, in hopes of one helping and uh, uh, you, if you need it and inspiring you uh, to accent what you do to fuel your own writing. So one of the things I was really amazed by uh, Dr. Scarlett is that you kind of have a secret origin of yourself, you know, of your own, <laughs> you know, um, could you tell us a little bit of the, harrowing origins of uh, uh, yourself what there. you survived <laughs> yourself yeah. thank you yes absolutely um so i was born and raised in ukraine and when i was three years old my family and i were exposed to chernobyl radiation disaster and so to this day, you know, I'm still waiting for my spidey senses or Hulk-like, you know, <laughs> super abilities. Um, but unfortunately, in my case and in the case of majority of people, especially children living in Ukraine at that time, most of my childhood was spent in and out of the hospital. My immune system was completely shot. So wow. I usually say that it was similar to people going through cancer to where my immune system couldn't fight even a simple cold. Mm. Um, thankfully, it has strengthened um, slowly over time. But the side effect that I have, even to this day, is that whenever the weather changes, I experience severe migraines, which sometimes lead to seizures. Wow, I'm sorry to hear that. 
Thank you. And so um, as the years progressed, things in Ukraine started being really unsafe. And unfortunately, rates of anti-Semitism really skyrocketed. And my family and I were targeted, as unfortunately were a lot of other Jewish individuals. And we had to basically flee in secret. And thankfully, we're granted refugee status to come to United States. So I was in seventh grade when I moved to the U.S. I was 12. And I don't know if the two of you or any of the of the listeners remember being in seventh grade, remember being 12. But I usually joke that we need to start an I survived seventh grade support group. Oh, because yeah. Middle school is just such a harrowing experience for anyone. And, you know, being a, a kid from another country, a kid that didn't speak English, and somebody that came from this radioactive experience, I made a very easy target. Awesome. So kids would ask me if I'm radioactive, if I'm contagious. But, you know, the biggest thing about it was that I thought I was the only one. No one in my middle school talked about mental health, right? We didn't have assemblies about mental health. The teachers didn't talk about mental health. There was a guidance counselor, but most people didn't even know what she did, like what was her role. And so I mistakenly thought I was the only one that was going through depression. I thought I was the, that, that there was something wrong with me, that I was somehow weird and that's why I was getting picked on. I thought that I was the only one that was having panic attacks and nightmares. And so I, I believed that for many years. And it was when I was 16 years old, I was working in a movie theater and I, I got an opportunity to see the midnight release of a new movie. And this movie changed my life forever. So this movie was The X-Men. So this was the first X-Men movie. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. You know, I was like, I don't know, like superheroes, mutants. I don't know anything about this. I don't know if I'm going to like it. But everyone from work was going. And I was working that movie theater where, um, you know, where it was playing. And so I decided to go. And from the moment the movie opens, I was immediately hooked, you know, because we see Magneto's origin story. Yes. Being a Holocaust survivor and I'm the grandchild of Holocaust survivors and I just immediately felt hooked and I was like, okay, I understand where this guy is coming from. But then as the movie progressed, what I was seeing is that every single person, every single being that was a part of the X-Men was also somehow bullied. They were also somehow picked on, right? And stigmatized And it just hit me in that moment how I could relate to each of the characters. And then I had this moment, like this light bulb moment that, wait a minute, if this movie was made and if this movie is really successful because the movie theater was sold out for the midnight screening, that Mm -hmm. means that other people feel this way too. Oh, yeah. And I had this moment that, wait a minute, what if everyone feels alone in their suffering and they think that they're the only one? And it's only when they come together like the X-Men did that they realize that they're not alone and they can help each other. And so I'm sitting there in this movie theater just sobbing as I'm watching this film and having so many realizations. And then I see Storm, Halle Berry. (laughs) Sure. And my life changed forever because up until that point, I always thought that I was a victim of my experience. I felt controlled by the weather. But seeing Storm, like, control and manipulate the weather allowed me to rethink 
what I was experiencing. It allowed me to think of myself as a survivor. It allowed me to rethink my origin story as that being connected with earth, with the weather, kind of like storm. And so to this day, she's my favorite superhero of all time. She's one that changed my life. And it was because of this movie that I realized that we can use stories to talk about things that we don't normally talk about. So it was after that that I signed up for my first psychology class and never looked back. Wow. Wow. You know, I have to say that Kurt uh, was one of my favorite X-Men in those early days. Um, Kurt Wagner? Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, as you know, aside from, you know, the, the teleportation power, which is sort of, you know, cool. Uh, but he, he had he had the greatest most challenging trauma to work through in in my eyes at that time because he he was deeply religious and yet he looked as he stated he, he how can i look like this how can god create me to look like this and how can i believe in a god and that was some deep material for a comic book in those days you know we were used to a lot of the dc material which was you know pretty much standard bad guy good guy you know and, and fight scenes and we win and then when marvel started doing their stories their characters were more relatable to everyday life like a peter parker living in queens being bullied blah 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 but kurt i mean yeah what do you do when you look the way you do and you're judged by the way you look and yet you feel deeply about who you are. And yet the thing that you look to for some sort of love and salvation or connection, theoretically, you couldn't possibly be a part of that. You know, it was just great stuff. It was just, you know, it just really took the, that series to a whole new level for me. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Alex, that comes up so much in real life, right? What a powerful metaphor for what we see. I work a lot with survivors of PTSD, survivors of some kind of trauma, individuals diagnosed with PTSD. And a lot of individuals might have experienced sexual assault, for example, and they hadn't reported it for sometimes for decades because they might have gone to a very religious school mm. or lived in a religious community and believed that them getting assaulted was somehow their fault. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they deserved it. And therefore, they shouldn't tell anyone about it because if they did, they would be punished. And the secrecy of the trauma makes trauma so much bigger because in addition to the traumatic experience itself, we're now wrapping it in shame. And shame is one of the most painful experiences that humans can go through because it leads us to believe that we're alone even though we're not. So if anyone listening to this has had a similar experience, if ever you're feeling like there's something wrong with you for experiencing trauma, please know that there's nothing wrong with you for what happened to you. That's not your fault. You're not alone in this. And there are support groups and also mental health professionals that are there to help you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, I, I know you were going to say something. I was going to say something. I do want to get back to uh, your work with uh, PTSD survivors. Um, but there's a, there's one more part of your origin that uh, is just, it's so fantastic. And it, it ties in so closely to tell the damn story. And it is available. You don't have to tell the full story because you can see it on YouTube. 
Uh, and in, in a clip that I found so inspiring, I sent it to my wife, and she's a big fan of yours after watching it. But uh, one aspect of this was that, all, you know, you were looking for a hero, and all the heroes you read about at that time were men. Yep. And you didn't see yourself reflected in heroes. It's and your, grand, your grandfather came. And can you tell just that part? That Absolutely. Is just, oh, my God. This is a beautiful thing. Thank you. Yeah. you're. Uh, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. I, I wanted so badly to be a musketeer or a knight <laughs> or, you know, a Sherlock Holmes of some kind. And all the books only had male protagonists. And in fact, I would almost write what I now know as fan fiction. But I received a lot of pushback from elderly people people, women especially, that I would present it to. And so when my grandfather saw this, he pulled me aside and he said, I have a different book for you and I think you're going to like it. But he said, you know, it's written in invisible ink. So you're not old enough to read it yet, but when you're old enough, you can read it and then you can also read it to other people. So I said, okay. So he took out a blank piece of paper and he moved his finger left to right as if he was reading something. And he told me a story about a little girl, me, whose older brother and male cousins were kidnapped by a terrible monster, a cannibal, and it was up to me to rescue all the male uh, relatives that were kidnapped. And what he taught me, not only in that story, but in hundreds of others that he told me over the years from the blank piece of paper, <laughs> was that girls can be heroes too. And that girls can even stand up to men if men are behaving badly. Mm. And that was mm -hmm. a really important lesson. And I think my... I think uh, my willingness to do something that I'm afraid of, I think largely stems from my grandfather who has always been and will always be one of my biggest heroes. Fantastic. And it's beautiful that, that, that you can get power from a moment of kindness, you know, um, and you've, as far as I can tell, and I, you know, I, we've only met today, but it's the little <laughs> research that I did is that you use that um that gift that that generosity from your grandfather in your therapy you know when you gave uh, again in this youtube that you know don't don't turn off now watch us but then some, you know, <laughs> sometime later you can watch it on youtube uh you tell a story about one of your clients and the th you know she wasn't responding as well as as far as i can tell to the therapy and then you asked what favorite show was and yeah. I, i'm a big buffy fan so boy <laughs> <did> I, <laughs> but it, if you can just comment a little bit about that power because she was able to show you a specific episode that specifically verbalized what she was going through and then use that to improve her family life and all that stuff if you if you, if you don't mind yeah. I think that's going to lead into our next thing, but let's hear what you have to say. Absolutely. Thank you. And there's so many examples just like it. I was working with a 17-year-old girl whose parents brought her in for PTSD after this girl experienced sexual assault. 
Unfortunately, on top of this girl going through this horrific experience, her parents were also not very supportive. They couldn't understand why she was experiencing trauma. After all, they said he was her boyfriend. So they didn't think she should have been traumatized by this. And by the time they brought her in, it had been six months after the assault and they had broken up by now. And so her parents thought she should be over it by now. So by the time I started working with this girl, she was almost completely shut down. She was almost nonverbal because... I I think that her voice was shut down and suppressed so much over those six months that she couldn't bear to to express herself. She would be shamed by the people closest to her if she tried to tell them how much she was suffering. And so if I try to even remotely ask about, not even about her trauma, which she was in no way ready to talk about, but even about how she was feeling that day, she would shut down and stop speaking. And so I realized that she didn't feel safe and we needed to find some kind of a safe bridge to to allow her to feel a little bit safer and more comfortable. So I asked her if there were any TV shows, movies, or books that she likes. And I usually self-disclose. I say, hey, I'm a big fan of Harry Potter and Star Wars and Supernatural. And so is there anything like that that you like? And she said, well, I like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I said, great, fantastic show. So if anyone's not familiar, it's a TV show about a high school girl named Buffy who's also a vampire slayer by night. So we spent just three or four sessions, maybe just talking about the show, talking about favorite episodes and different characters. And at the end of one of the sessions, we, you know, as we're talking and I said, Hey, was there ever a time that Buffy went through something traumatic too? And of course, Buffy had been through a number of different traumatic experiences and, and I apologize. There's going to be a big spoiler here for anyone that hasn't seen Buffy. 15, 20 years ago. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) So at the end of the fifth season, Buffy sacrifices herself to save her sister Dawn. So she dies. In the beginning uh, of no. yep, yep. <laughs> in the beginning of season four, Buffy's friends use dark magic to bring Buffy back to life. Mm-hmm. And some really bad stuff happens along the way. And when Buffy comes back, she's not quite the same, right? She's having nightmares and flashbacks. She's angry all the time. She's engaging in erratic behaviors and she won't talk to anyone about what's going on with her. And so as we're talking about this, I asked my client if she's had similar experiences and she kind of, you know, nods, but doesn't say much. And I realized she doesn't have the vocabulary. So I said, was there ever a time that Buffy talked to someone about this? Because I want to see how this girl can relate to this character. And so she said, yeah, there was a time that Buffy actually disclosed her trauma to her friend, Spike, who's actually a vampire, Mm -hmm. but it's okay. It's a thing. Whole different story. Just yeah, another episode. Um, and so I said, well, can we watch that interaction? So she says, sure. So she found it on YouTube and it was maybe about a three or four minute clip that she pulled up. And in this clip, Buffy's talking to Spike and she says, you know, I was in heaven and now I'm, I'm in hell. And every moment is just excruciating. And I don't know how to get from one moment to the next. I'm paraphrasing. Those are not the exact quotes. Right. right. But as we're watching this, she just points to the screen and she says, that's what I go through every single day. That's me. Mm. And 
she's in tears and I'm in tears because this is the first time this girl had the words to describe what she was going through, right? She couldn't say that she felt devastated or sad because the truth is those would be euphemisms. That's not enough in English or in any other language to express the pain that she was going through, but she was able to point to the episode to let me know what she felt like. And she felt understood because I said, I got it. So that night, she showed that entire episode to her parents, and that's what it took for them to understand what she was going through. It took Buffy the Vampire Slayer for them to really get how much their daughter was suffering. You know, I, I it's 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 a it's a strange feeling for me because um, I watched, I don't know, maybe the first four, four four seasons of that series. Um, pretty, pretty devoutly. Uh, and there was, uh, there were a couple of different times with the story and this is a, this is the power of story and this is the power of storytelling and good writing. Uh, there was a point where Buffy, I think it was in like the second season where Buffy was captured by that master vampire who was under the town. Yep. And, and again, I'm not going to worry about spoiling this one time. <laughs> you know, I mean, basically, uh, he 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 conquers her, and and it's a it's a thing of where she's almost turned into a vampire, if I recall. This is close to it, but she eventually, you know, triumphs over this, and this is over a, a, a series of episodes. But after that, which is the most fascinating thing, for episodes after that, she was irrational. Mm-hmm. She she was bitter with her friends, and and again doing erratic things and stuff like that. And at one point, I, it suddenly clicked in my head of an actual act in real life that could happen to a young woman that her reaction reminded me of. And I went, oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. That's, it's just like. And yes, she has no way of expressing that. And again, when you're supposedly that powerful, you know, when, when you are a vampire slayer, when you can kill these things and you can't conquer that man, that thing, you can't, you were in, in fact uh, controlled by, by this person. It is, it is very hard for a male or female to deal with it. And I think men in particular, because we've been told we are the power. And when it, when it doesn't work, when someone goes, no, not exactly, <laughs> you know, it's even more for us sometimes, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I'm just saying in our heads, it's but I'm supposed to be. And so, yeah, I mean, good writing and good character development and good storytelling is really the writers reflecting the human condition. And then the audience connecting to that. And I'm so glad that you brought up the male perspective too, because I think so often when we think of sexual assault survivors, we think of women. Mm-hmm. And of course, it happens to a lot of women. One in every two to three women, unfortunately, will experience at least one, usually multiple instances of sexual assault. And at the same time, the current statistics suggest one in seven men will too. And I think that it's, uh, and, and of course, it can happen in people of any sex and any gender identity. And, and I think it's really hard for survivors of any, um, you know, any biological sex or any gender identity to come forward 
but I can tell you this, a few years ago, I was giving a talk on superhero therapy at um, a conference. It was a Comic-Con for Army Vets by Army Vets. And I talked about this special issue of Spider-Man. Alex, maybe you're familiar with it. Um, So it was in, I think, 1986, where Marvel partnered up with Childhood Committee for Prevention of Child Abuse. And they released a special issue of Spider-Man in which Peter Parker found a little boy who was being sexually molested by his babysitter. And Peter confided in him that he too had been molested by another man. And through that disclosure made the boy feel more comfortable and taught the boy how to report the incident to his parents. And so uh, there was a research study following the dispersion of this comic where issues of this comic were disseminated to elementary schools to teach children about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and how to come forward about inappropriate behavior and sexual abuse. Children reported that they understood better after reading this comic about what sexual abuse is and how to report it. And actually in that study, one of the kids actually came forward and told the teacher that it was happening to him. Mm. And the reason why I bring it up is because when I presented this at that conference for Army Vets by Army Vets, at the end of that presentation, I'm going to get choked up. Um, this man came up to me and he held my hands and he said he was a Vietnam vet and he'd never told anyone this, but he'd been sexually assaulted. And he thought that because he was a man that he, that, that he was weak that he couldn't talk about it. But he said, now that I know that it could happen to Spider-Man, I don't think I'm weak anymore. Mm. Mm. And and I think that's the power that stories bring is that they allow us to know that we're not alone. They take the shame and stigma out of this experience to allow us to build community and have conversations where survivors can support each other. Yeah. Wow. That's true. Wow. Um. I want to go to superhero therapy, but since we've been talking about um, Buffy in particular, perhaps you can weigh in on something that might be troubling many Buffy fans these days. Uh, I myself, I own all the Buffy, all the Angel, all the Firefly, anything Joss Whedon never did. Mm. Um, but now, going. and and I, I cannot say with clarity exactly what happened but uh more and more of his female performers or uh, uh, stars have come out actors have come out and said that he was abusive towards them um so what do we say to or what would you say to someone who found solace in I mean, in this case, it would be Whedon's work, but it, it, you know, insert favorite book here, you know. Harry Potter with J.K. Rowling statements, yeah. He's had some problems, yeah. So, well, in in cancel culture, it's it. It seems like it. You're just kind of waiting in line for for here's what you did, but it doesn't excuse being inhumane or being abusive to someone else. But what would you say? to uh, a patient or one of our uh, emerging writers um, who has found inspiration and solace and power in the work of somebody and now have 
troubling facts outside the story. How do you reconcile that? What would you say? Such a great question. First of all, I would want to acknowledge that your pain, if you have been in this experience, is absolutely real. And it makes sense that there might be a feeling of pain and betrayal. I think that for many of us, especially if we're going through a hard time, certain TV shows or books and movies can be more than entertainment. They can become like a surrogate family. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that if when we learn something really painful about the creator or some of the individuals associated with that franchise, it's really, really painful. And so I encourage folks to really react to it the way that makes makes sense to you. So some people choose to walk away from that fandom. And if that's what feels right to you, that's fine. You have every right to do that. If it's too painful to you to be a part of it, that's okay. You have that right. If you want to be a part of it, but make it your own, for example, not support the creator, but support the fandom, that's fine too. That doesn't mean anything bad. It still means something to you. It still shaped you. A lot of people are now engaging it with fan fiction and participating in uh, fan groups, like fan support groups. And I think that's another really good way of not only supporting yourself, but also supporting other people who might have been also moved by that same fandom or franchise. And so I think that it's important important to remember that your feelings are completely valid. Your feelings make sense and it's okay for you to engage in the way that makes sense to you. There's no wrong way of going about it. Excellent. Yeah. I, I, I would just uh, chime in for a second and say that um, there's a, and I won't mention the name, but there's a particular uh, literary uh, author who I loved his work for several decades, for probably about 20, 30 years. I enjoyed his work. And then in doing some research in another project, I came across, shall we say, his political and somewhat social beliefs uh, about my people. And I realized that this gentleman and I would never have been friends, nor would I have been seen as quite possibly an equal in any way, shape or form in his eyes. And it, it soured me on him and his work for a period of time, after which, much like in meeting some celebrities who you love their performance or their characters in a certain film or TV series, but you realize they're actors and that's not who they really are in real life, I then found that I was able to follow that thread and say that I could appreciate the work without the person. You know, and so slowly but surely, I was able to separate my enjoyment of the stories he wrote, understanding that he and I would never have been close friends, unless, of course, I was so persuasive that, you know, I could have turned him around. Well, if anyone can, it's you. (laughs) I agree. agree. Um, Let's get to uh, those two magic words that uh, just jumped out at me when I started finding out about you. Uh, you know, I get us these assignments from Alex. You know, here you go. <laughs> Research. Okay. Um, it's so much fun when you do it. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I love it. I love it. Anyway, superhero therapy. Can you give us um, a little bit of an explanation of um, where it came from? I mean, I think that anecdote may have been 
kind of a hint of where it was coming from, but can you explain how it works and what what you do? And then I'm sure I'll have a lot of follow-up because this sounds astounding. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So superhero therapy refers to incorporating elements from pop culture, from TV shows, movies, books, video games, into evidence-based therapy to help people better understand their experience and also develop a path toward healing, essentially becoming the hero of their own journey. So it doesn't have to include traditional superheroes. It could be fantasy, sci-fi, it could be anything. But the goal is to help the client to become their own version of a superhero. And I don't want to take credit for superhero therapy. I'm most known for it. And I'm the person that coined the term, I think. Uh, But there have been a lot of therapists uh, around that have been doing very similar kind of work. So I don't want to proclaim to be the first person to have done this. Sure, sure. It would seem to me that early in the therapy, they would do like this Buffy fan did and bring up what they enjoy what they connect with and then you would build from there um how do how does the therapy grow from for example that great moment when she said there that 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 that's exactly go through from there to the the uh client becoming her own uh, or his own depending on who the client is um superhero or you know how do how do we get that growth yeah great question and so uh, maybe we can even follow up with that same person so let's call her jamie but that's not her real name so um after jamie was able to show the episode to her parents she was a little bit more willing to talk about what happened to her and we coined that as her origin story so I typically explain to my clients that an origin story somebody is something that everyone has. Every fictional character and every real-life human being has an origin story. But the thing about the origin story is that it's the beginning, not the end. Mm. Right? It's a jumping-off point. But then the hero decides where they want to go to next. In a lot of ways, Luke and Anakin have the same origin story or a similar origin story, but their paths ended up being very different. And so uh, we talked about uh, Jamie's origin story, and it took us a few sessions, but we practiced writing it out. There's something about either writing it out and then reading it or uh, recording uh, the origin story verbally and then listening to the recording that desensitizes that person to their origin story over time so that they own their origin story, but the origin story doesn't own them. Mm. So it's something that's happened to them but the rest is up to them. So then after that, we would have an imaginary conversation with that person's hero, Buffy in this case, where the person would imagine that Buffy came in, came into the room, and Buffy knows everything that Jamie has been through. She knows her origin story. She knows how tough the last six months have been, how nobody was really supportive, no one was understanding. And Buffy has the most encouraging words for her. And so the question is, what would Buffy say? And 
when Jamie started writing it out, she was in tears, in happy tears, writing out Buffy's words of encouragement because Buffy told her essentially that she's not alone, that she's very brave in being able and being willing to talk about her experience and that she has something very special to offer to other people if she's willing to share with other people about what she went through. And it was really interesting because from there, we then look at actions, right? Like super heroic steps. So Jamie's action was to start talking to her friends about sexual assault as a way of being closer to them because she isolated for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so she started opening up to her friends and sharing her story with them and then found out that her best friend was sexually assaulted too. And so by sharing her story, she was able to support her friend and they were able to support each other. And in a lot of ways, Jamie then became her own version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's fantastic. And, you know, that friend felt had to feel a little saved because she realizes she's not alone. Yeah. And uh, what a key uh, uh, moment there. That's beautiful. Um, so I would imagine from, you know, from what I, uh, and, and watched, remember YouTube, everybody, um, I'll put in a link. I'll put in a link. folks. <laughs> you really should. It's great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it doesn't matter who the hero is. It doesn't matter who or what character you make the connection with. Uh, we all can make a connection. So. Um, has there been for you and not to, you know, divulge client privilege and all that stuff. Um, has there been uh, patients that had a harder time identifying who or the, what they enjoyed or who they liked or, and yeah. Yeah, great question. I have a family member I think would probably eventually say the New York Yankees, you know, but I think it would take a long time to get there, you know. Um, so how what happens when yeah. when it's not like immediately Buffy? Uh, yeah, so uh, one of the prompts that I give to my clients in terms of picking a personal hero, which there can be more than one, is to think about a personal hero, which could be – uh, a real life person, even if they're no longer alive, like a grandparent or a teacher, mm -hmm. it could be an athlete or a celebrity of some kind. It could be a historical figure. It could be a religious figure, or it could be a fictional character. And so somebody that is kind of a symbol of compassion and wisdom for that person. And so for a lot of people, they can think of somebody, even if they've never met them in person. But if somebody cannot think of anyone, real or fictional, who fits that description, I invite that person to kind of think of almost like a being that maybe doesn't even have a, a shape fully, but just kind of a presence that's very compassionate, wise, and loving. And we kind of go from there. And usually over time, people say, oh, actually, you know, I'm remembering my grandmother was like that. Or, right. you know, Eventually. I was thinking of Mother Teresa or, you know, somebody will bring up someone like that. You Why know, do you think? Oh, uh, go ahead, no, Alex. No, I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, it's all right. Um, I am I am fascinated by, by, you know, again, the connections of stories, it's constantly stories. 
and, and you had just said that with this young lady, um, there was writing involved. And so it's, it was not only looking at episodes of a story or in characters that helped her find her voice to be able to talk about this, but then there was also a period of creativity where at least she was calling on her experiences and writing out these thoughts and then some sort of imaginary conversation. So do you find that, that writing and telling a story, is it, is it always a part of the therapy um, or, and, and if so, uh, is it more challenging or, or easy for uh, some people? Love that question. Um, I got to say, Alex, majority of my clients have a notepad every time we meet because I love writing exercises. <laughs> so most people know we're going to do at least one in our session. Um, and the reason why is because I find that a lot of people have a really hard time verbalizing what they've been through if they haven't been through therapy before. Um, and just in general, even if even somebody that's uh, really, um, really aware has had a lot of therapy experience, it might be intimidating or uncomfortable. But when we're writing, we're almost like in our own safe place, in our own bat cave, right? So we can write out things that are coming out, um, uh, things from our mind or things from our heart. And then I usually invite the person to read it out loud if they're willing. And it's really profound just how deeply people feel the statements that they have written. So, for example, after writing the origin story, which is the beginning of the therapy, at the end of the therapy, I ask people to write out their survivor story, mm. right? So we call it the Phoenix moment. So, so now after, you know, having been burned in the past, now there's this majestic, very powerful being. And so they write their survivor story. And a lot of times people kind of tear up as they're writing, but it's when they read it out loud that they really connect with that experience. And I think it's not just creativity. I think it's maybe the kind of the permission to go a little bit deeper, a little bit more vulnerable that comes with writing. And for people who struggle with writing, either to maybe some kind of either a learning or physical disability, we do use other things too in sessions. So some people, if they're, if they are able to use their hands, sometimes we do comic book drawings. So we'll do stick figures with word bubbles or mm -hmm. thought bubbles. And it's really amazing. Like what can be put on paper with just six panels, for example, um, or, uh, or sometimes through that person recording something um, to a voice recorder app and then playing it back and mm -hmm. then listening. Excellent. Excellent. It, it's, you know, it's funny, a number of those, those methodologies or those techniques uh, are things that I use in my screenwriting classes. So it's, it's like I'm, I'm hearing your words and I'm going, oh, that sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for that. That's, that's, that's wonderful. Good. You're creating a very therapeutic experience for a lot of you students. That's amazing. Uh, oh, the hounds, the hounds, that's my dogs in the back. The hellhounds? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, that's okay. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. I have a barrier. Up. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, I've taught my students um, about stories is that it, they're after food, water, shelter, safety, 
comes story, comes interaction with others, you know, and the idea that story lets us know the experiences we're having, we're not the only ones who ever experienced it. And the stories give us knowledge of how we might handle, how others might have handled, give us uh, permission to release, like you were saying, all the uh, all the um, emotions and all the both the fears and the victories and 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 all of that. Um, I'm fascinated in the last couple of years, you know, through the mixed blessing of social media, <laughs> that we have found a portion of the population. That is very quick to say, no, you can't. And in many times, they're pointing to someone who deserves to hear that, you know. Uh, and other times, that has been bastardized, has mutated, has turned into um, to play with the metaphor we've been using or you've been using in your practice to flip it on its head turns into a supervillain, you know, in that uh, I'm noticing, especially uh, in classes, in Zoom situations like this, um, my high school students have all but frozen. You know, they don't turn on their screens. They don't, put on their microphones, they're reluctant even to text because of the pressure and the fear of cancellation, you know? Um, what can we say to try and give those people who might be reluctant to self-express? What, what, what can we say to give them a little assurance? I love that you brought up Maslow's hierarchy of needs here and talking about the biological needs and the safety needs. And so the next step up would usually be love and belonging, but that is something we learn through stories, including right. ancient mythology and also current stories. Um, I think that what we learn through a lot of those stories is that it takes one person to make a really big difference and that the, if there's something that you might fear, for example, if you might fear saying something silly or ridiculous or, or you know, hurtful in a Zoom class, for example, it's important to remember that the opposite of your biggest fear points to your greatest core value. So if you're really afraid of saying something hurtful, it's because you really care about being kind. And so mm -hmm. perhaps that is then your greatest superpower and that's what you can show up with. Because if you say something kind, even if no one responds to you in a way that you can see, you're still helping somebody else. And you might never know the impact of your kindness, but mm -hmm. for all you know, that person might have been having the worst day of their life or might have even considered suicide. But by you being kind in that moment, you might have saved a life. Yeah. You might never know this, but I, <laughs> just by taking a chance and showing up and and doing the best that you can to be kind, you're really making a big impact. I'll I'll tell you a quick story to uh, support your your statement there. Years ago, a uh, long time ago, like Alex Simmons, long ago, okay. uh, I was a <laughs> rookie teacher. Uh, 
in the high school I'm teaching in now, and I could not get the students to do work. And he raised his hand from the back of the room, and he says, uh, we'll make you a deal. This is a two-part story. He says, if you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and talk to us about it the next day in class, we'll do your other work. I said, sure. He told me they were in season three. I said, I'll watch, but I'm going to have questions. You're going to have to catch me up. We did that. We wound up doing it the whole year. That student, years later, got in touch with me and said, I'm going to do a TED Talk, much like the TED Talk you did. Um, and he says, I want to talk about you. Is it okay? I said, whatever you need, you know, and... I didn't know what he was going to talk about. He said, do you want, you know, do you want to know about it? You want to see it first? I said, I trust you completely. So um, he months later, he sends me the link. And I go to a quiet place. I happened to be in a, a film conference at that time. We had an independent film down in Austin. And uh found a quiet place and I watch it. And he mentions that... Um, he was suicidal and he bumped into me in the hallway of the high school the day he was thinking this was the day he was going to cash in the chips and check out and I made small talk like I you know that's part of what I do and I told him a story about my brother Soupy as you can tell from the name he's a colorful character Whatever that was, whatever was in that story, changed his mind. And he was able to go, I don't remember the story. But if it's soupy, it's got to be a pretty good story. Um, but you never know. I mean, this was years later, it was 10, 15 years later that he's, you know, he tell, told the story in a TED talk. Um, and his point was, that you cannot underestimate the value of story, even the smallest story, you know, and how, and, and your therapy focuses on that in, in a wider, uh, wider range. Um, what, what do we, what can we say to kind of wrap up this section here? Um, two writers, two readers who are, maybe struggling with confidence, maybe struggling with, you know, we all have different things. Imposter syndrome. You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even, you know, scars from the past, whatever it is. Um, and may not be in therapy. What can we say to them? Or what would you say to them about um, using their stories, their heroes, or maybe the, what they produce themselves as a as their own therapy. First of all, thank you so much for sharing your story and also for the kindness and compassion that you have. And I imagine that that student wasn't the only life you saved. That was just no, the only one you know about. That's, that's really nice to say. I'm not sure if that happened this year. It was, <laughs> it was a really rough one this year, but yes, thank you. <laughs> you know, and I think especially this year, you know, what I, um, I have a high schooler at home, you know, and he never turns on his camera or his mic, but he's always listening. 
Okay. And then after school, he always tells me and his dad, hey, you know, like my teacher was so nice and he was so encouraging and said all these things. So I think a lot of times your students might not, might struggle participating, but they're still listening and they're still really gaining from what you have to say. So mm-hmm. don't ever discount that. Mm-hmm. Very and, generous of you. I needed to hear that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for, you know, for anyone listening, if, if you're, if you're a writer, please remember that you have the most incredible gift. There's no one out there that has a voice like yours and whatever you have to share, whether it's, something fictional that maybe will have a character inspired by your story or your pain or your trauma, or maybe will be a complete distraction and, you know, maybe a hilarious account of something completely irrelevant, or maybe a nonfiction story that's, you know, maybe personal in some way. Whatever you put out there will change a life. You might never get a letter about it. You might never see a TED Talk about it, but there are people who are going to be helped by something that you have. And there are people out there right now in this very moment who are waiting for exactly the kind of story you have to tell. So whatever you're feeling, please use it. Please know you're not alone. Please reach out to other people and also check on other people. But whatever you do, please keep writing because you have the most amazing gift to give to this world and your gift makes a difference. So thank you. That's excellent. Thank and, you very much. And, and, to, and to just in, just leap off of that into the next adventure, you uh, created a story, which you let me read some time back, and it's been published and all that. And I would love to, it's a graphic novel, by the way, folks, I would love to uh, hear how you decided to do this and what was your inspiration, motivation for it? Because it's a little unusual. Yeah, it's a little unusual. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And honestly, I'm just still brought to tears that you read it and you're so kind about it. And thank you. It was the first piece of fiction that I've written. Uh, All my other books have been nonfiction so far. And I was definitely very nervous, but it's a book I've been working on for 10 years. And so it's a graphic novel. seemingly about a witch with post-traumatic stress disorder who after the brutal death of her parents then joins Hades's underworld intelligence agency to become a kind of supernatural agent they're called the dark agents to uh, catch the killer and also to be able to create some justice in this world but my my reason for writing this is because what I want to demonstrate is that although this particular story is from the witch's point of view, her name is Violet, from Violet's point of view, and Violet is going through PTSD and believes that she's the only one and is feeling really isolated, the subsequent books are going to be uh, about other characters and about their own trauma and their own anxieties and their own other mental health disorders that they're going through, where initially every single one will believe that they're alone until they learn that they're not. And so my kind of sneaky idea here is that I want to show people that anything that you're going through, chances are most of the people around you are going through the same thing and no one's talking about it. And so if you think you're an imposter, chances are most of the people that you meet are also thinking that they're imposters, for example. And so my hope is that 
uh, with this graphic novel and then the subsequent books will be in novel form, uh, that these novels will encourage people to understand mental health, to talk about mental health through the lens of fiction and also to know that they're not alone. And, and I think it's tell us the name. Yeah, the graphic novel is called Dark Agents. Yeah. And is it on sale now? Is it coming up or? Mm -hmm. It's on sale now. It, uh, it actually came out right before the pandemic and like the week before the pandemic started. <laughs> uh, and it was really sweet because I received a number of letters uh, from people who said it really helped them to get through the pandemic. And it was interesting because it was written for teens and, and young adults. But I received a number of letters from parents of elementary school children saying that it helped their children to manage their trauma, which was just, you know, just so heartwarming. And I didn't expect that. I was, was going to say that one of the things that, you know, and again, I'm hoping everybody listens with both ears to this entire episode. Uh, one of the things that your story, your overall story has, has demonstrated quite forcefully and, and wonderfully is that we reflect life and so much of what you experience and dealt with and and trained for and believed and seen uh and shared is also reflected through the the writing of this story you know which is wonderful i mean it's just it's just it all just sort of went right into that and i'm thinking yep that's that's exactly what it is uh calling on our experiences as fodder as fuel, as resources for the stories that we tell, whether we do it in a nonfiction or fiction manner. And then the other thing is to say that we are, uh, we're blessed to be able to get it done. And then it's wonderful if we can get it out. And if we don't get to know about how much it affected the ones out there, you know, we must count the blessings we've already received, but then it's added blessings when you learn that someone was moved by or affected by or helped by your work. And I mean, you're, you're fortunate to, thank goodness, to have heard that and have learned that. Um, I'm quickly going to refer to one Don McGregor, who you may, you may know of, uh, and, and for folks who haven't, <laughs> for some strange reason, ever heard of him. Uh, among other things, in, in the comic book world, uh, as a writer, Don wrote the, um, the Maxi series, Panther's Rage, which uh, some 35 years ago, which was the comic book material that the movie, The Black Panther, was based on. He didn't create The Black Panther. That was created by Jack Lee, um, Jack, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. But he did do this major series, this major uh, comic book storyline. But the thing about it is, um, years later, Years later, uh, Don received a letter from a gentleman in South Africa, and it's a black man in South Africa, who wrote to him and thanked Don because he said he had been in prison during the time that these stories were coming out, and that reading those stories had helped him deal with what he was going through at that time. So we, we have no idea who we are touching with these tales. So it is just upon us, it's on us to get them out, to tell the stories to the best of our abilities and then let them do their thing. Yeah, it's an act of faith to get out mm -hmm. there and hopefully the, the connection is made. Mm -hmm. So 
all we can say is thank you for your time and thank you for just a really such a fantastic interview. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic is the word. And 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 do you have anything that you want to say uh, to to us, to the to the audience, to to the world um, as as we bring this. Because we're clearly going out to the world. Yeah, well, we are, actually. We are. You know, if if they're not all listening, that's something else. But we are going out to the world. But is there something that you want to say or share with with, with the listeners? Gosh, um, first of all, thank you again so much for having me uh, on on this episode. I'm just... very, very moved. I'm having a hard time speaking right now because I'm tearing up. But I, I think the one thing I just wanted to add is that you never know who's listening mm, in sure. terms of you never know who's, you know, just really hanging on. And and so my, my hope is that if, if you're out there and if you're listening, act in kindness and no matter what, please keep writing. That's beautiful. Oh, beautiful. And, and then I will share one more thing, and then, then you can take it away, Chris. Um, one of the reasons I invited you on this is, is you, know, you and I, as you said earlier, we met uh, a couple of years ago, and we've done a couple of panels and things together and stuff like that. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to be in the company of you and your husband on a, on a few occasions. Uh, and as, aside from being an extremely intelligent human being, you've always come across as an extremely caring and and wonderfully gentle human being and i really wanted the opportunity for chris and 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 our listeners to meet you so as much as you may be getting mushy about this um uh, i'm i'm just (laughs) having the grandest of times and thank you for coming oh my gosh thank you thank you thank you both so much for having me thank you so chris Uh, go ahead (laughs) all i'm gonna say is uh dr janina scarlett Greatest name of anyone on the show. What a cool name. Uh, find her on YouTube. Watch that. We're going to try and have a link. Then I would imagine that Dark Agents by Dr. Janina Scarlett is available anywhere you can buy books, right? So go and get that. Um, and, and her other books as well. You know. Yes, the, there's the... Uh, and uh, I'll one get woman a, psychology. Right? I'll get a list from her. Just so, there's so many that we're going to give Alex homework. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and please um, share this episode with friends and people that you think need to hear it. And also writing and tell your damn story. Absolutely. Take care, Thank you Chris. Again, doctor. Take care, doctor. <laughs>